Small Business and Startup Stories DSM features conversations with small business owners who share both their victories and failures on their path to success. Small Business and Startup Stories DSM is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash smallbusiness. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell. Lana Fox, welcome to Startup Stories. What does ClinicNote do? ClinicNote is an electronic medical record for speech pathologists and now actually audiologists for documentation to use with their patients and record their daily notes with their their patients. And then um, there's also a scheduling and billing piece involved with the electronic medical record. So it's like an electronic health record? Is it it an EHR? I mean, you hear that term, EHR. Yep, EHR, EMR. It's kind of interchangeable. Okay. In the industry. So you got into the university market. I'd like you to tell the story about how you got into the university market because that wasn't, I've been around you a long time. And yeah. since you started, and I, I know for a fact, in fact, I think I was one of the people that told you, run away from the university market, don't go to the university market. Um, how did you get into the university market? So the university market, it, it was kind of one of those things, well, we have to try everything because we haven't found the exact way to get from this idea to making the business cash flowing really that was it was like okay what can we try to make this actually work so i found out about this university conference where all the clinic directors go to this it's a pretty small conference only 500 people go but it's the decision makers at the speech clinics at university so i went and i did this it was supposed to be kind of a small round table discussion and instead it ended up being like 15 people in a room looking up at me like kind of wondering why i didn't have a presentation (laughs) (laughs) um and it was fine because i just facilitated a conversation about what was missing from the market and it ended up being that our product that we had built for a private practice could be then kind of tweaked a, just a smidge, just a little bit. <laughs> it's always just a little bit, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were able to then create a university platform. We got, I had a gal who said, well, I can't spend, I think it was like the way that our private practice pricing at that point was like $40,000. It would have been for them to implement it into their university clinic. She's like, well, I can't afford that, but I can't afford, I think it was 10,000. I was like, okay, let's sign it. <laughs> let's and sign you, this deal. happened at a trade show. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you literally landed one on the trade show floor, mm-hmm. as they say. Yeah. And it, it, it's been a great relationship ever since she's that university has helped us just kind of go from not knowing what universities really need to being able to kind of design a platform that was really helpful for them. And they're still a customer? Mm-hmm. How yep. many universities do you have on the system now, roughly? We have 10 currently using it, but by August we'll be to 25. 25? Yeah. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. What What is it about universities that they wanted your product? I mean, it, it's an EMR. I get it. You you keep track of things. Mm-hmm. But why universities? What, what were they getting out of it specifically? Yeah, so it kind of seems like, well, EMRs have been around forever. Why don't they have one yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so... A lot of universities are still using pen and paper or, (laughs) yeah. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Yeah. Um, pen and paper or they're using, um, they're using a Word document and then de-identifying it because they can't have any patient information in the Word document as they send it back and forth through email. Oh, sure. 
And then once the supervisors, the teacher, finally approves the student documentation, then they have to re-enter in the patient the correct patient information and then upload it into some kind of university approved storage system, which is usually like box or I, I have to assume like that they crazy. weren't exactly HIPAA compliant in a lot of cases. Yeah, I don't really I try not to, <laughs> I try to like avoid talking about that a little well, bit. Well I know too I mean, much but I'm them, just but saying HIPAA and maybe you can talk about what HIPAA is for those who don't know, but yeah. you know, there is this law that says you keep things private. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it's um <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of rules with HIPAA compliance, and it's kind of this thing. It's this thing that changes often, also. Right. So it's um, it's actually it should give them peace of mind to switch to an EMR system because we take care of that for them. Yeah, you know, I, I see startups get mad about regulation like HIPAA, mm-hmm. and I have to remind them every once in a while that sometimes that's a buying reason. That regulation, I mean, so Sarbanes-Oxley came into the world to after the Enron fiasco. And suddenly all these public traded companies, all these companies had to really do a better job with their books and meet all these requirements. There's a company here in town called FastPath Solutions that builds SOX compliance auditing software to make it easier to get through the audit. And they're very successful in the morning. And that happened because of regulation. And I look at HIPAA, and to me that's one of the things that your product brings value. I mean, it's not the key value. And I want you to talk about the teaching value. But the other value is, oh, we get to solve this. We get to take the question marks out of the HIPAA compliance issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something that we've created for schools, which is kind of just an added bonus, I guess, is for them to, we, we created a document with a check mark for how, like what the students need to care about. Mm-hmm. And how do we actually teach these students to know what they have to worry about even on an electronic documentation okay because you have to worry about okay can anyone else see my screen really make making sure obviously no one knows their password um changing the password every so often right just knowing that they can't even talk about their patients um just in general conversation it's illegal so (laughs) yeah so making sure that they're knowing that and it's important for them to learn that at school because when they go into the real world so to say (laughs) they're gonna have to continue to follow the rules so you talked about the way they were doing the paper system Mm -hmm. And, and so you've got a student you've got a teacher so the students seeing patients Yes. Yep. And so what happens once you put clinic note in? How does that, does the paper go away? Do you still use document files? How does, what happens then for the teacher and the student? So usually either there's a, a computer there while they're talking with their patient, but because it's for speech pathology, a lot of times they'll have activities to do with the patients. Mm-hmm. And so they'll maybe scribble down a couple short notes and mm-hmm. then they'll do their documentation on the computer and for the students what's really nice is on clinic note they can write up their document and submit it to their supervisor and it's all HIPAA compliant and the supervisor is the teacher correct okay mm-hmm. so they submit electronically yes all right. back and forth as many times as they need to and so what's the teacher doing reviewing and commenting and editing yep okay. we created attract changes tool uh, within clinic note which is really cool because there's no emr system out there that has attract changes sure tool within it interesting so it makes it easy for them to actually say okay well this sentence isn't really a complete thought or this sentence is missing capitalization here right 
can you fix that? <laughs> or, or you need to say more about the specific cause mm-hmm. of this issue or what you did to treat, I suppose. Yep, exactly. So I bet the teachers like that, too, because I can't imagine having to carry around bundles of paper and hand mark it up and then deliver it back to them. And right. And mess. they can because it's it's all um, cloud-based, so they can access it from anywhere. We recommend Google Chrome for them sure. to use it, but sure. um, they can access it from anywhere, at least the teachers. Um, for the students, there's a feature where they can restrict by IP address, so okay. the students can't necessarily access it from so anywhere. So we don't have to worry about the students in the coffee shops showing right. everybody their data. Oh, <laughs> yeah. great. So how did you get involved in Clinic Note? Well, I actually married one of the initial founders. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way to do it. That's unique. You married yeah. one of the founders. Yeah. But Tyler and I had been dating for, gosh, five years at that point. So it wasn't like I was new to the scene. I was just kind of around. True. And I I ran a franchise while I was in college. And that's where I kind of got the entrepreneurial bug. Uh-huh. And so when I graduated, I knew I wanted to work for some kind of a startup and so when Tyler had started Clinic Note with a couple of his friends, um, I was like, well, are we going to get married? Because if we are, then I want to work for you and not another yeah. startup. But I did get an offer from another startup here in Des Moines, which was kind of cool. Yeah, and they've done well. Yeah, yeah. They did well without you, Lana. I know. You know. <laughs> no, I'm happy for them. So you're not a speech-language pathologist or a programmer. What is your background? Um, my background, so I went to Iowa State for industrial design, which is product design. And initially, I thought I was going to go design shoes. <laughs> All right. Because um, I like, you know, working with my hands. But uh, what I found is that almost everything that we learned in industrial design at Iowa State, I can apply to Clinic Note. I would think so, because the, mm-hmm. the, the I'm a programmer by training, and so when I look at your product, and I know it relatively well, there's not a lot of super hard technology in there. It's really about workflow. It's right. about how the people interact, and a lot of, from what I know, little I know about industrial design, it's about human product interaction. I mean, exactly. human user interface is a huge area of study, and you have these people called UI UX experts, mm-hmm. user experience experts, user interface experts, and it's to me, it's very, very similar or adjunct to industrial design. They're almost all the same. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to be able to take, so I do a lot of sales. I do, I wear a lot of hats, you know, as a startup you do. Welcome to being a startup. (laughs) But um, it's really cool in the sales calls to be able to take the items that we hear over and over and over and for me to then be able to compile it into basically a product feature within Clinic Note. Or an improvement. Or an improvement. Yeah. 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 So it's helped you with Clinic Note and designing it. I, I, I think about uh, your market. I think a lot of the products that are out there in this space that are specific to audiology, SLP, speech language pathologists, mm-hmm. are pretty ugly products to look at. Yeah, a lot of them are pretty old. Yeah. Um, some of them have been revamped, but not a lot of them. And a lot of times, I mean, there are other EMR systems out there that have a lot of features, maybe a ton of features, and it's too many features for the smaller practices that we're trying to help. Yeah, and I think that that's a it's a common thing to see in industry where the industry builds some huge monolithic solution. They solve everyone's problem with a single device or single piece of software, mm-hmm. which means it's got too many buttons and knobs for everybody to be really simplistic about right. it, right? And so it's hard to use. And I, I, I really personally see an opportunity in your marketplace and all of the uh, the, the 
electronic health record or medical record, EMR marketplaces that you can't have the same interface for a podiatrist versus an audiologist versus an ear, nose, and throat doctor. They're different, totally different practices, and they require different interaction at the doctor, nurse, other medical technology, the people that are touching the patient. The back-end technology can be all the same. Mm-hmm. But that interface has got to be really, really different. It needs to be specific. Yeah, because they have different workflows for what they care about and how they actually you know, go from their daily note. Um, because speech pathologists, they do see patients once a week, sometimes twice a week. Sure. Um, and it's very different from like a dentist where you see them twice a year. Or a surgeon. You see them <laughs> once and, you're, and hopefully you're done. Yeah, I mean, exactly. hopefully they help you with mm-hmm. the problem and you don't have to see them anymore. You've had a lot of mentors since you started your career at Clinic Note. How many mentors do you currently have, do you think? Um, I would say that there's probably 10 mentors that I meet with on a regular basis. That number would surprise a lot of people. 10 mentors that you meet with on a regular basis. Yeah, it sounds like a lot, but we've created a really lean company because I have mentors or advisors that are really good at their specific you know, whatever they their background is, whatever yeah. their background is. So And we mix the word mentor and advisor a lot. I know you and I do that yeah. a lot. So mm-hmm. so um you wrote about mentors as they relate to areas experience. So give me some examples. You don't have to use names, but mm-hmm. what are the different sets of experiences that your mentors bring to you? So I have one specific uh, mentor that is very technical. Um and he also knows a lot about taxes. So when I have questions about the database that's an interesting combination technique. <laughs> I know. Technical and taxes. Okay. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about, but yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for him, it's I go to him with those specific questions, but I don't necessarily ask him a lot about sales questions. I have another mentor that I ask about the sales specific questions and what I should be doing and making sure that I'm being active enough for that. Mm -hmm. And then I have another mentor that is more of like a general, like I meet with him pretty often to, well, it's you. (laughs) I meet with you pretty often to talk about just what am I doing day to day? How am I moving the business forward every week? I call it the where where are you at session, right? I do that with a lot of clients. (laughs) And I think it's, for me as a mentor, it's a a way of asking you or basically enabling you to say, this is my focus. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny because with people that have been in business for a while and you've been in business for a while, it's more for me about getting you to let go of some things than mm-hmm. it is to say you need to do more. It's usually take a few things off the plate or or this is, don't you think this should be your focus or, um, you know, that kind of thinking. I think it's too easy mm-hmm. to confuse mentoring being, you need to do this, you need to do that. And that's not what mentoring's about. No. And it, I think it helps being prepared for those mentor meetings because when you come prepared and know, like like if I come to you with my list of, let's say, 20 things that I have mm-hmm. kind of on my plate, yeah, then you can help me narrow it down to, okay, well, you have these three things that are due this, like that you kind of have to get done this week. And that's been really helpful. And I think it's something that's been improved in the three years that I've been with Clinic Note. (laughs) You were always good at what you did, but you've come an amazingly long way. Well, thanks. 
What have you learned about being mentored that you can pass on to others? So I put in some very specific tangible things that I think you can do to be prepared for mentorship and also then to get a lot of good information out of the mentor meeting. And it starts with being prepared. But then once you're in the meeting, it's to take notes and um, actually be present in that meeting because it's easy when you wear a lot of hats to think, oh, well, I should be doing sales right now or I should be calling this customer or Mm -hmm. helping with whatever it is. But when you're sitting down to the meeting, you need to be fully focused with that mentor. Know what you are hoping to talk about and make sure that you know what that mentor's interests are. Because there are some mentors that are really big picture Mm -hmm. and love talking about kind of the three or five year plan. Right. And then there are some mentors that want to get into like specific numbers. What's changed from the last time that we spoke and how can I help? And People can be the most helpful when you're talking to what they're experts at. Don't you think when you're talking to a mentor, it's a way of organizing your own thoughts? I mean, I think that you were talking about preparing. Mm -hmm. And I think that I know when I'm preparing, uh, I don't always do this with you because we meet pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. But it makes me think about what are the key things that I think are important to even put on the list to talk about. Um, I was going to say on your on your point about being present, I found it's easier in most cases to go into a separate room or go to a coffee shop or get away from your working environment, your desk, your computer and all that, you know, close the laptop, whatever, so that you're not, you know, it's not speaking to you. The phone's not going off and all those mm-hmm. things, which, you know, you can only do so much. If a customer calls, you got to deal with it. Right. Right. And usually they, I mean, they, they understand too, your mentors do, and they're really busy too. So you want to be really conscientious of right. their time Yeah. because most of my mentors, I would say probably all of them could charge hundreds of dollars per hour, but luckily they are invested in me and the business and making sure that we can be successful here in Des Moines, which is so cool about being in the startup scene here in Des Moines. Yeah. And I think that's something that I, I want to make sure everybody understands. Mentors and advisors aren't paid positions. You mm-hmm. know, it's not, that's not what it is. Is Consultants can be in a huge value to your business. I've had consultants that made tremendous difference for a small amount of money, but that's not what a mentor and advisor is. A mentor or an advisor is someone who's doing it to help the business. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes they're also investors in your business. I know for you that's true. Some of your yep. mentors are, are, are also investors, but, but they're there to help. They're not there to get paid, per se. That's not the goal. Right. Right. You and I have talked in the past about mentor whiplash. Do you have any examples of your whiplash moments and kind of how you deal with that? So Maybe I, you can start with what mentor whiplash is. Yeah. So mentor whiplash is when you get a piece of very good advice from one of your mentors and you think that's what you're going to go with. And then you receive similar but definitely different advice from another one of your mentors. And it also seems like a really good idea. Yeah. But then you're kind of stuck. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to offend either of them because I appreciate their advice, but it's also, okay, how can I move this business forward? Yeah, You can't go West and East. Right. You got to pick one. And sometimes like for sales, you can kind of do both. True. Um, Test both. You can test both and see which one works best and kind of make sure that you have a way to track how it's working. Mm -hmm. But then um, for something that you really are kind of stuck in between two very different options. There's a couple different ways that you, you can go about it. I mean, ultimately I'm the decision maker and I can choose, but, um, 
So I could choose one option and just go with it. And then you have kind of the discomfort of maybe offending one of the mentors. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the second option. And then the third option would be to put together an email where you compile the notes from both mentor meetings Mm -hmm. and the advice that was given. And then include both mentors on that email. Sure. And that's really helpful because then it kind of brings everyone together as a team. Right. And then you can see it from the, the mentors can see it from both perspectives sure. and sometimes they have a better op- option. Maybe well, I know option. for me when I'm mentoring, I, I, I'm thrilled to hear other mentors ideas because it's sometimes I'm, I'm worried someone's just going to take my advice and just roll with it. It's like, well, I'm wrong a lot. I mean, I think most humans are. I mean, it's just we're humans, right? I don't have perfect. If I had perfect answers for everything, I'd be playing the stock market right now. I'm probably doing <laughs> quite well. But I think that I've sat in rooms with three or four mentors together meeting with one entrepreneur. And I think it's happened with you before where we disagree and we have an active discussion about it. And it's, boy, it's really, it's, it's, it's so really valuable because <laughs> you start to hear all the logic and the reasons behind and, and you learn so much more. And a lot of times by the end, the mentor's going, yeah, what she said, do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're all in agreement. It's like way better to go that way than what I thought of. So I think it's, it's, it's really helpful. How have mentors influenced your journey? <laughs> I don't think Clinic Note would be a business still if I didn't have the mentors that I've had. Just plain and simple. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, this is our this is my first my first true startup. Like I did the franchise, but it franchises have everything kind of laid out. There's, a, there's a playbook. The, if you follow the plan, you can make money. <laughs> right. Um, but as far as startups go, it's kind of this unknown blank book with different chapters in it. Sure. Ready to be written. And what's helpful with mentors is by having them, hopefully you get to maybe the better, a better chapter faster. (laughs) So what qualities do you look for in a good mentor? I look for people who are experts at something in particular, because I think that that's a huge piece. They have to actually know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. The second thing I look for is their willingness to be honest with me, whether that's pretty or not, (laughs) because there are times in the business where things aren't going to be going well. Yeah, it happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. And I've been listening to a couple podcasts, um, How I Built This is one of them, and it's really cool to see how, even though I'm a really small business for right now, that podcast really shows how the huge billion dollar businesses go through those ups and downs and it's everywhere. The problems just get bigger. (laughs) The problem, I mean, I can tell having been in a company that grew to a billion a year in revenue, the problems just get bigger. Mm -hmm. Now you get a bigger team to work with it and you get more experience, but it's, it's about solving problems. Yep. And that's fun. That's the fun part. (laughs) So now what is it like for you when others ask advice from you, putting you in the role of a mentor? Um, Humbling, I would say probably that's the like the best way to put it. But it's also really cool to be able to take the advice that I've gotten from other mentors and be able to put it and give it to other people. Well, and you've learned some things on your own too. Yeah, it's not just yeah, from others. Just, <laughs> yeah, but but still, it's it's really humbling because it's cool to be able to actually share and know what I'm talking about now. Where at the beginning, three years ago, I was like, kind of felt like I was running around with my head cut off a little bit. (laughs) I think most of us that start something the first time feel that way. But um, it's, to me, as a mentor, it's 
I have to be really careful because it's easy for me to say, well, I think this, right? Yeah. I mean, we all have opinions. Opinions mm-hmm. are easy, right? But it's kind of like be, hindsight. It's it's great, right? Yeah. But I think that just being thoughtful that I'm passing this on, somebody may actually execute on what I said. So it's like, mm-hmm. would I actually do what I'm thinking about saying? To, you know, would I, would I go build that? Is that what I would do? Would I take that risk? Would I, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah. And I found that it's helpful to be able to speak in stories. So like give examples of how something the advice that I'm giving, how it worked for me in the past and why the context around it, because that makes a huge difference for whether or not it will be able to be implemented for this other, whoever I'm mentoring. Yeah. And don't you think storytelling in general is just an effective tool? I mean, I I Mm -hmm. try to remind people when I'm helping people learn to present their company or pitch for money or whatever it is, storytelling is as old as language. At yep. some point, our ancestors were sitting around, whether there was even a fire or not, and they were telling stories. You know, older people telling younger people a story, hunter telling another hunter a story, mm-hmm. farmer telling another farmer a story. We've been communicating that way. It's in our heritage. It's so far back of being a human. It just makes sense that it's probably the most, one of the most impactful ways to teach mm-hmm. people is to tell that story. Yep. And most entrepreneurs don't like being told what to do. So no, it's nice and, being, uh, it's nice getting it in the story form because it's like, okay, what, how can I take that story and apply it? Right. It's and a good mentor. Shouldn't say do this. Mm-hmm. The, the good mentor is saying, have you thought about this? I had story time. I had success doing this. I've seen this done. Mm-hmm. I've seen this not go well. Sometimes I, all I can say to somebody is I don't know the answer, but I can tell you three things I've done in the past that did not work mm-hmm. and why they didn't work for me. Yep. So back to Clinic Note, you've been raising capital recently. Yeah. So tell us what this is like. Um, well, it went relatively quickly. It did. In general. Because <laughs> we started raising, it's probably been nine months, I would say, since we started raising money. Yeah, originally. Right. Originally. And then we kind of got stuck for a while, didn't we? Yep. Yep. It's been really cool to see my initial investors be really fired up about the business and reinvest and really believe in what we're doing with the company. So that's been awesome. And then we also, um, I pitched a couple different times. So really I only had two true pitches, which for a lot of people, they're like, okay, that's not very many. It's not, (laughs) it's not, but it's, um, but you got a network of investors, your your investors talk to other investors. Right. And that was a big piece, the networking bit of it. And then being able to have one-on-one discussions so that people could understand why I'm really passionate about this business, why it's working, why we think it's working and show them the numbers because the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah. You, you say I only had two pitches, but it took you nine months <laughs> yeah. to raise a small round of money. And it was yep. a smaller round. Small. Yep. There's no reason to get in the numbers, but it was a smaller round. And in the end, you oversubscribed your round, meaning you actually took in more money than you'd planned. Um, yeah. That's typical. I mean, from my background, it's like I'm surprised you only pitched twice, but to have taken nine months, it's like, yeah, sometimes it takes that long. And mm-hmm. you had to survive as a business while you're at it. Right. What's next for Clinic Note? So we are actually going to the state for a matching funds for the investment dollars that we got over the past. Is that a venture net fund? Um, it's through the TCC panel. Yeah. Um, it's Iowa Innovation Fund. Iowa Innovation yeah. Fund. Yeah. Yep. And then we pitched, or I guess, yeah, kind of pitched at VentureNet also because right. it's part of the process. 
Um, so that's the very next thing for Clinic Note, and we'll see what happens with that. Either way, we'll be able to continue running Clinic Note without, with or without that money. Right. Um, so that's really cool because I haven't been able to say that in the past about raising money. <laughs> you, you've you've hit a bit of an inflection point where you're, yeah. you're getting you're talking about having 25 universities on on mm-hmm. the system by the end of the year is pretty crazy. Yeah, and hopefully that will actually be closer to 40 by the end of the year. Yeah, I but, know. You've got a stretch goal. Yeah, so. i got to reach yeah. goal. you got to have yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, yeah, I just see the business continuing to be a sustainable business that really helps therapists do their jobs and supervisors do their jobs at teaching clinics. Right. And hopefully with that, we'll be able to help people be confident in how they talk and their therapy and then expand into some other markets. And you've been growing the private practice and we've been talking about universities, but you also sell the private practices Mm -hmm. as well. Correct. Yeah. And I didn't focus much on that last year because I was focusing solely on universities and trying to build out that, that product. But now we've switched to, well, not switched, but been able to focus on private practice again, because I have, other people working with me and it's cool how much you can do when you have other people <laughs> you actually have employees now that's amazing yeah. so where do you see clinic note in three years are you still going to just be speech language pathology and audiology are you going to be no. will you have 50 universities or 200 i mean just roughly where do you see it by three years we should have at least 200 universities and we will have been able to expand into other disciplines. So right now it's speech and audiology, but the next, so I actually had a group of graduate students at the University of Iowa do a research project for me. It was their semester project, and they were able to get me numbers in the other disciplines and what was missing um, from our platform in comparison to other competitors in each of those markets. And it was really cool to get the data back because... What we found is that there were just a few pieces that were missing for us to be able to easily expand into some of the other therapy disciplines. Interesting. What are some of the other therapy disciplines that are out there? So um, physical therapy, occupational therapy, um, music therapy, and there was one other one. I can't remember at the moment, but, you know. Those. <laughs> so we've been talking a lot today about uh, about mentoring and what mentoring means. And for those of you listening or looking for a mentor, and for those who want to give back by being a mentor, check out dsmpartnership.com slash mentor connection. Lana Fox, thank you for being on Startup Stories. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Small Business and Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by these stories, we offer a hub full of resources needed for any small business owner to grow and succeed in Greater Des Moines, Iowa at dsmpartnership.com slash small business. Thanks for listening.